This episode of The Substance is brought to you by Chris Hotchkiss, American Family Insurance, and listeners like you. What's this war in the heart of nature? Why does nature vie with itself? The land contend with the sea. Are you righteous, kind? Does your confidence lie in this? Are you loved by all? Know that I was, too. Do you imagine your sufferings will be less because you loved goodness? Truth. substance a podcast aimed at being biblical thoughtful and human join us each week as we engage the culture without the culture war i'm your host philip marinello joined by my friends and co-hosts here trevor aiken hey what's going on everybody and vincent edwards what's going on it's a bit of a little bit of a somber day but how are we doing here fellas i'm actually really pumped to be here yeah i'm I'm excited i'm 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 here i'm definitely enjoying it I, I am too. I, I don't want to get into too much stuff here before we uh, introduce our guests. But if you're new to The Substance, uh, Substance is a uh, Christian variety show. Each week we talk for about an hour or so about something in regards to Christianity, culture, or the arts. And then at the end, we or our guests uh, share some things that we've been finding enjoyable or edifying in the shout-out segment here. And today we have our uh for his fourth time, I think you're the first uh, Substance guest to hit four. We've got wow. uh, Brett McCracken, senior editor at the Gospel Coalition, author. He's also serving as a pastor at his local church, uh, soon to be father of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome. Welcome back, All Brett. That. Welcome back. Yeah. Thank you, guys. It's great to be back, and I'm honored to be the first four-timer. For sure. We're about to do our uh, Terrence Malick hat trick. We, we also had the Minari yes. one in there, which was yes. timely. And I'm, I think it was a, a nice time, too. I, I heard back from a number of listeners who it's nice to give a little bit of a boost to a new movie that maybe not be on a mm-hmm. wide range of people's radars. Totally. Yeah. And I think this episode was actually commissioned by Brett, if I remember correctly, because the last <laughs> time when we I watched so. Minari, I'm pretty sure there was a quote in there from Brett that said, you have to watch the thin red line, Trevor. Mm. <laughs> that was true. We we are evangelizing Trevor. So this is our third Malik substance episode and Trevor's third Malik movie. That's, That's how right. it works. Wow. Yeah. Gonna have to come up with more podcast episodes to get Trevor to watch. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think the new world I watched the new world uh, a couple months ago when I was putting something up uh, making an IKEA thing and I was like, we should add this to the list at some point. You were watching a Malik film while you were multitasking. Actually, no, I was watching uh, the making of documentary yeah, on the Blu-ray. Okay. I was watching the making of documentary. Actually, okay, that's okay. And it Good took thing. me about the whole hour and a half to uh, make the thing. That's As true. a side note, this is my first Malik movie. Oh, oh yeah, Tree really? Life was uh, 1.0, and you were not on for um, a Hidden Life. Yeah. Also, wow. this will be my first. Wow. 
Well, Brett, I'll just go ahead and make you this deal. You keep uh, coming on to uh, to these ones that you suggest, and I'll, I'll we'll keep doing the ones that you tell us to do. How about that? Okay, <laughs> sounds good. I think we've done his longest movies now. I mean, his other ones are not short, but I think we've knocked out his oh. longest ones at this point. That's true. They're all easier than these to watch. Oh, really? Well, See, not necessarily, but shorter. Yeah, not necessarily easier yeah. to digest, but yeah. shorter run times. Yes, exactly. I've really enjoyed my Malik experiences so far. Tree of Life and Hidden Life have become probably two of my favorite films. I think mm. we were talking about it the other day. And obviously, everybody has their favorite silly film, which for me is probably Hot Rod. Same. But then when we were talking about favorite film, I'm like, I think it's probably a Hidden Life. Mm. It's probably yeah. a Hidden Life. I really, really enjoyed it. That's great. It's, it's up there for me, for sure. But I'll I'll be honest, uh, for this one, I, I feel like I need some help. <laughs> I feel like I didn't take the prereqs to the class, man. Like I came in and I was like, oh, there's so much info and it's flying so fast. And I can tell that there's something really amazing going on here, but I just don't feel like I'm I'm able to access it all. Yeah. I felt like the other Malik movies are contemplative enough in pace that it really allowed me to like take in each scene and kind of place it and synthesize it all together. Whereas in the in this war film, it was like thing, 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 like question, question, like philosophical idea. And, and I'm like, like uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't keep up. I can't synthesize it all. What's happening? It's just yeah. questions. It's just for questions. sure. So just as a spoiler, this will w- this episode will definitely have spoiler. So if you haven't watched The Thin Red Line, it's a uh I believe 1988 film. 98. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah, definitely stop this, go watch it, and then mm-hmm. come right back to this point so you can take a listen. I mean, it's a war film. You can you can make that choice for sure. And um, I, I will say um, this this one was interesting for me because I I want to hear your thoughts, Vince, because yes. you're you're getting thrown you into the action Malik. of Terrence Malick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I'm gonna keep it a buck fifty with you. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it, guys. <laughs> I don't like war films Ooh. as a point of genre. Really, I don't, that's surprising to me. It's you love it is it's sensitive to me for real. Like mm-hmm. I've oh. never I've never served in the army, obviously, um, or any any point Armed of forces. military. But I think it's like. One, there's a point of just the gruesomeness of it that I just don't enjoy watching. Like, even saving Private Ryan, like, I I don't like that. Like, I know it's an artistic piece, and it's showing the gruesomeness of war, and it's really giving people, like, hey, you won't go overseas to experience this, so this is the closest you can get to it. And I'm like, I I don't see that as entertainment. I don't see that even in anything that I want to really imbibe as a, as a, like a media consumption. But then I also, and maybe this is not as parallel to war, but I grew up in the undercity and oftentimes there were areas that I lived in that felt like I was living in a war zone. Hmm. And so it it brings me no pleasure in the same way that I don't watch movies like Boys to the Hood or, uh, yeah. um, Boys in the Hood? (laughs) Boys in the Hood. Or Menace to Society. Uh, Menace to Society, stuff like that. I don't 
I don't like that kind of stuff because more than it is a depiction of what goes on in the area, it's almost like a deep memory of what I already experienced and either been a part of or had friends that were a part of it. Um, so for that reason, the genre of that and war movies is just like, it's not my jam. However, I will still say this was a good movie. Okay. Even, even though I don't right. like the genre, it was Malik did a absolutely fantastic job of its depiction of the philosophical questions. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a deep dive into almost in a sense, the problem of evil and how each individual handles yeah. it. So I, I think it mm -hmm. was still a good artistic piece. I almost feel like if you don't like war movies, the thin red line is more of a movie for you because it mm -hmm. almost, he almost takes every single war movie trope and turns it on its head. It felt like watching yeah. it. And, and genuinely well, examine it. It's interesting because this came out the same year as Saving Private Ryan. Which, Did. you know, also a World War II film by a prestige director. Mm -hmm. They're often compared with each other, Saving Prepper Ryan, Thin Red Line. They mm -hmm. both got a lot of Academy Award nominations that year, but they couldn't be more different in terms of how they approach war. Absolutely. And so I, of I often think it's, it's unfortunate that they came out in such close proximity to one another because... They're apples and oranges in terms of film. Like, I would even say The Thin Red Line isn't a war film. Like, it's a war mm -hmm. film in terms of the philosophical war. Like, the first line of the movie is, what's this war in the heart of nature? And the literal, you know, interpretation of that is like, okay, yeah, there's a war happening in the jungle. So mm -hmm. is that, maybe that's what this film is about, like mm -hmm. an, an actual war happening in uh, nature. But really what Malik is exploring, and he tips us off with the first line of the film, what's this war in the heart of nature? It's the war in the, in the heart of humans and in all of creation, right? Mm -hmm. Between depravity and innocence and good and evil and light and dark. Mm -hmm. And so he almost uses war as a genre to be the canvas, if you will, for his like larger exploration. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's reducing it to say, like, this is a war movie, like, <laughs> you know. No. Yeah, sure. A little while ago, I was looking through some of our top episodes, and um, I went back and I re-listened to Tree of Life. That was, I think, like episode eight. That was a long time ago. And you had mentioned, and you've mentioned it in your writing before, Brett, um, don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but Thin Red Line was also your introduction to Malik as well, mm -hmm. if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Why don't yeah. you... Tell us briefly about kind of your your first experience with it and kind of, I mean, in a way, kind of how that changed the trajectory of your uh, your cinematic life and your, your professional totally. work. Yeah, it was like the film for me that like not only introduced me to Malik, but I think got me excited for the first time about integrating my faith in like thinking through film. Mm -hmm. um, as a kid growing up, I always loved movies. And I love church and my faith, but they felt like two different worlds. They mm -hmm. didn't have much, they weren't in conversation. And I didn't, I had yet to see models of how they could be in conversation. So when I went to see the thin red line as a high school sophomore, I think in 1998, <clears throat> that shows you how old I am. Uh, but it was at um, West Glen theater in Shawnee, uh, yeah. Kansas. 
I don't, it's not called West Glen. I think it's called Dickinson something now. But um, that's where I saw it, and I just it was a mind blowing, soul stirring experience where I for the first time I like saw a movie that felt like church, like it felt like a holy, transcendent experience, and I didn't know what to make of that. It wasn't about church. It wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't like using religious language. I mean, it was, it, it does to some extent, but yeah. it was like, wow, like this is possible. Like it's possible for movies to move us into a contemplative space where we're asking the biggest questions of all, like what is sin? What is, what is this going on inside of me? You know, why do I do what I hate? Why do I not do what I want to do? which is a literal line in the tree of life. So Malik is exploring this stuff in numerous films, but yeah, it was just, it was the film that set me on kind of the film critic path a little bit. And um, when I was in college and I started taking film classes from professors, like I would love, I would love just like talking about the thin red line. Um, fun fact, by the way, <laughs> the director Koganada who has a new film coming out this week called After Yang mm -hmm. with, with Colin Farrell. Um, so Koganada is a pseudonym, and the actual guy was a professor of mine in college. Um, E.J. Park is his name. And um, he, so he's a Christian. He, he and I, he basically taught me how to think through <laughs> film through a transcendent kind of spiritually like weighty lens. And now he's making films like that himself um as Koganada, which is cool so wow nice but i remember like specifically the thin red line like bonding with him over that and talking about that um that movie i mean in film circles like you said it was in a way kind of surprising for malik it was his biggest i think public mm -hmm. breakthrough it got like six or seven oscar nominations and lost them all some of them to saving private ryan which is mm -hmm. to be expected that's a lot more of a a populist film. Um, I, mm -hmm. I think the only big thing it won, uh, basically won the, the Berlin film festivals, like best. Yeah. Was that the, the something lion or no, the, the bear. I think it's the golden bear. Yeah. The golden, the bear. golden lion is Venice. That's Venice. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, in film circles, it was very mm -hmm. highly praised. I know that yeah. Scorsese loved it. Cisco loved it, but the average person. The, yeah. The average person watched saving private Ryan that year. <laughs> Um, but yeah, for film people, it was a big deal because, you know, Malik had taken 20 years off. He, he made yeah. Badlands and Days of Heaven in the 70s and kind of made a splash in Hollywood as this like really talented American new wave director who had gone to AFI and was making these like really unique films. And then after Days of Heaven in 1978, Malik drops off the face of the universe like no one heard from him for mm. 20 years and people thought he was done with movie making and still to this day you know no one really knows exactly what he did in those 20 years he lived in france i think for a while kind of lived out to the wonder a little bit he lived out to the wonder so yes he's sort of telling the story in autobiographical films right now but yeah he came back you know 20 years later with thin red line and it was a huge deal like that's why everyone in hollywood at the time like every like it actor of the late nineties, like wanted to be in, in the movie. Went to set some of them, a yeah. lot of them filmed some of them, some of them the are on the final product. Tour. Yeah. 
There's a yeah, lot of A-list actors. Yeah, it was a star-studded cast for sure. Yeah, it, and that's uh, and that's one of the interesting dynamics of the movie is and and throughout Malick's later films is like tons of A-list actors, and many of them only have thirty seconds of screen time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He yeah. saved George Clooney for like two hours and forty-five minute mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, there that's is. very true. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the funniest story. Have you heard the Adrian Brody story? Mm-hmm. So Adrian Brody thought he was under the impression that the movie he was the star of the movie. So he oh, no. he, he literally showed up to the premiere thinking like I'm going to be the star of this film and he was like so angry that <laughs> I don't think he has a single spoken line. Um I think he says something to Nick Nolte when he chews him out, yeah, but not hardly a, anything. Yeah. You can definitely spot him in the film at the at the end but kind of like a sean penn at uh the tree of life for me <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah same yeah sean penn has been mad about the same thing in tree of life christopher Plummer in the new world was also angry <laughs> yeah. So, yeah he went on record i remember christopher Plummer went on record like i'm never working with him again yeah wow so, harsh but, i mean i have i have theories about why malik does that malik is all about humility and kind of the idea that like humans are just one of there's one part of creation like and we don't want to like glorify ourselves more than we need to and he kind of practices what he preaches with celebrities like he wants to like humble them a little bit by like (laughs) even even someone like sean penn or brad pitt they're not the star of the film like in, in any of his films like nature god's creation is the bigger star than any single Hollywood celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And that, it's just so counterintuitive to the t- typical Hollywood approach, which puts the celebrity on the marquee. They're the main attraction. For Malik, no. The ideas, the, the nature imagery is the star. Mm. So, Brent, I know that this sure. is a huge film for you. Have you gone back and read the, uh, the James Jones story? I never have, no. I, I don't know why, but I haven't. I'm super curious about the relationship between mm-hmm. the film and the book as well, because yeah. it definitely felt different for me than the other two Malik experiences. And I wondered I, at the end of it, I wondered if it was because it was based off of a, of a book. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to um, say one way or the other. I have, I haven't read it either, but I think that tree of life is, is holy. It's a wholly unique experience that, that I think the only other um, thing that I've heard reasonably kind of put in the same conversation as 2001, but that's also mm-hmm. a very different, very kind of sterile. And there is awe in a way, but not, not anything like the tree of life. So that's kind of in its own little bubble. And the hidden life yeah. is, I think one of his most um, accessible movies because yeah. it, it's got the contemplative, it's got the cinematography, even though it's a different guy, but it is, it's telling a clear beginning, middle end story Mm -hmm. about a man like yeah there is the i'm sure somewhat of the skeleton of some of the the plot and especially because the book was written about a world event that there are things there are tracks that malik runs on especially for scenes and i I think you were so it's it's not a war movie but war is is a significant part like i kind of put it in a war movie category in a way and he's he's very much not interested in making I mean, unsurprisingly, he's not interested in making a rah-rah, like, yeah. nationalistic, 
mm-hmm. a hero, like this is about heroism or anything like yeah. war is, is ugly. And I mean, you, you see it in both human and animals and nature are all reaping the, the destruction of war mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. evil. Yeah. So I was talking to my dad about this film a little bit and I told him it's a war movie. He's like, Oh, it, you know, it's a world war two. Yeah. You know? So I told him, you know, it's a, it's about Guadalcanal, but here's the thing. <laughs> but here's the thing. You won't learn much about. I'm like literally, literally the, the fact that it's in Guadalcanal is just the setting. Yeah. Like yeah. this movie has nothing to do with the battle. Like literally it's the most generic. It like take the hill is the only thing in the film it seems and it's like the most generic stuff mm-hmm. i don't even know like you won't come away from that movie knowing more stuff about the battle of guadalcanal you just won't and yeah. and if you go into it looking for that kind of experience then yeah, you've you're gone to the out. wrong film maybe yeah. like yeah. anything about the war at all really yeah if you wanted to go like learning about war as a philosophical concept maybe like then you're in the right place mm-hmm. but everything about the whole like take the hill thing it seemed to me more to really explore just the idiotic nature of bureaucracy in the military and the value of human life and mm-hmm personal ambition versus personal values and things like that and how those things play off. And so um, it it gets into other interesting territory, but like actual tactical details is not the point of the film. And one big takeaway that I got from the film in general was because Malik does a great job of kind of co-mingling the idea that suffering happens to everybody, Mm -hmm. to nature to the mm-hmm. opposing side, and to if you paint it that way, the heroic side or the uh, the victorious side or whatever. And he doesn't explicitly make it like American, non-American, more than it is just, you know, we have somebody is pointed at enemies. But I think that's the part that really affected me. There's only two parts really that really like cut me deep. And that was one of just this picture of everybody's suffering and everybody thinks that their cause Mm -hmm. is noble Mm -hmm. and that they're doing what is best for their people. And so it's like, sometimes I feel like when we, when we listen to news or news outlets and things like that, we often, you know, think that we're trying to do something that is noble and honorable. And the other side, because we don't get their perspective, is only being evil and malicious and just trying to tear down. Mm-hmm. And we often get that perspective from, from media outlets. But then Malik does a, a great job of saying, nah. There are plenty of people on the other side that you don't get to see. You're not in those areas, but they are sacrificing. They are fearful. They are anxious. They are, they are absolutely afraid or or some people are apathetic in, in a sense. And it's just like, they're not, they're not all signing up. Like some of those people were just drafted. Like they're not fighting again. Like, it's the nations and the greed yeah. and the whatever it is that's behind war. Yeah, the same emotions are there, <laughs> and it and 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 it's it's evident that these are humans on mm. our side or their side or whoever side who are having a human experience in the yeah. midst of war. Yeah, and that was visceral. Like I that mm-hmm. cut me deep. I was like, dang. Right. 
so Trevor, for a, a, a hot rod tie-in here, um, oh, I, I made a couple of lists of things here. Bill Hader in his uh, Criterion Top 10 list, he mentioned the Thin Red Line, and his quote is that Thin Red Line is basically war from the point of view of God, and I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Vince, huh. what you were saying about like suffering as kind of a universal experience that the film captures, mm-hmm. I really do think that's the overall impression that you get, is there's a deep humanity in terms of like recognizing that we're all bound together in this like there's like the thin red line is almost like this ribbon that like ties us all together like Mm -hmm. on both sides of every conflict like nature humans like we're all suffering under the curse you know of sin Mm -hmm. we all long for shalom like everyone everyone wants paradise like Mm -hmm. no one alive doesn't want that so we all want the same thing. We want to recover what was lost. And we're all suffering under the curse of what has been lost. And I think that's that's why the film feels so transcendent to me, is it it kind of cuts through all the politics and just really has this elemental, deeply human um, kind of feeling of like, we're all in this together, like trying to recover paradise in a fallen world. Mm. And, um, you know, you see it in... Mm-hmm. There's different ju- juxtapositions of like paradise and paradise lost. Like when um, Jim Caviezel's character like opens the film kind of in this idyllic, um, sure, yeah. you know, <laughs> kind of village. And then later in the film, he goes back to that village, but things have changed and people are afraid of him. And there's no longer that peace. Earlier in the film, there's a shot of an alligator just kind of mm-hmm. swimming happily in the swamp. And then later in the film, there's an image of an alligator bound up, you know, with ropes mm-hmm. as, as if it's been caught and poached. And mm-hmm. so there's the, there's those juxtapositions throughout the film of like paradise and visions of what we could have and what we might have had. And then reality of like being kind of cursed by sin. Um, but it's it's a very empathetic portrait. It's like we all are struggling with the same tension. And I think it's it's beautifully done there's there's one image that like always gets me and it's after they take the hill that's kind of um trevor i think you mentioned that's like the most traditionally like war film moment is taking the hill yeah but there's a scene at the end of that after they've just gone through through the trauma of that when like two of the soldiers just kind of like hug each other and they're like shaking and there's this very tender moment of like just like wordless bonding over the trauma of what this experience was. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's moments like that throughout the film of just like, you know, unity in the midst of the darkness uh, of life. And, and mm. so that's yeah, it's a beautiful film. Yeah. Two of the most moving moments for me was kind of moments where he was exploring because the movie is told from the perspective of the American side. It follows the yeah. American soldiers there. Yeah they're the protagonist the japanese army is the antagonist but two of the the moments that were most touching to me were parts where he humanizes the the japanese side mm-hmm. and there's yeah. one there's a face of a dead uh mm-hmm. japanese soldier after they In take the earth. hill it's kind of yeah. buried yeah and the voiceover for this soldier comes into the mind of Jim Caviezel's uh, character wit. And he says, are you righteous, kind, loved by all Mm -hmm. know that I was too. And 
Yeah, that was it was that that was heavy. And then at the end, after they take the Japanese camp, um, just one of the Japanese soldiers looking over at his buddy who's who's been killed Mm. and just Mm -hmm. sobbing and hugging his his buddy's dead body and just like it's it just it does it humanizes the whole thing. It it puts Mm -hmm. it all into perspective. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the moments I found more accessible, but there's there's also this this big tension going on between Wit and uh, Sean Penn's character Top. It's Sergeant Welsh, I think. Sergeant it's Welsh. Yeah, Welsh. It gets confusing. <laughs> well, that's also something to discuss with this movie because it's it's often brought up as a criticism. Like I couldn't tell who was who, and the voiceovers like blended together, and I didn't know if it was Jim Caviezel talking or Ben Chaplin. I did have that struggle. It all it all blends together, but I mean I think that is by design from Alex's point of view. He he wants the voice to be the singular voice of humanity mm-hmm. talking, and it you know it just so happens that there's different it's, bodies you know on the screen. It's chaotic, <laughs> but, like yeah. war. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a unified yeah. perspective. Sure. Huh? Well, seeing the soldier in the ground was I, I had forgotten about that. It's been a while. I, I've seen this movie. A number of times, <laughs> my first viewing was very impactful, but it was also very unideal. Uh, in college, I was a security guard, and I watched it overnight in the security guard check on a computer. <laughs> and it was moving, but it was not the most ideal. And I'd seen it once or twice since then, but I'd forgotten about the scene with um, mm-hmm. the soldier in the dirt with just like a little part of his face showing. And then, and then not too long after that, I believe is the the whole siege on the village. And I mean, that is technically every time I watch it, I'm just astounded going like, how did they like stage and block this and shoot Mm -hmm. this? And how was this Mm -hmm. safe with all the, the chaos and the explosions and the, Mm -hmm. the, the rifles going off all these things. But then like you talked about how it's, it's about humanity. It's not about, old Hollywood or even some current stuff where it's like good guys versus bad guys. Mm-hmm. It's about, these are men. It, we would say like made in the image of God okay. slaughtering each other for mm. nation, like national aspiration. I mean, I'm sure some people are defending themselves, but I mean like world war two had a lot of, it was unnecessary. I mean, wars, I mean, we can kind of get into that, I guess too. Like yeah. Malik was probably commenting on the nature of, human war how it's not necessary but it's also a natural um byproduct of the evil that's in Mm. the world Mm -hmm. but just that whole scene from everybody's point of view like people are are terrified there's no it's not exciting like it's it's terrifying and and heart you're seeing men unnecessarily kill each other some people are running away you see the people throwing down their weapons and putting their hands up and hoping not to get killed like a lot of these people probably have like families and things to get back to and stuff like that. And it's, you just see all the carnage and Malik is provoking us to go like, mm-hmm. oh, like, cause we can read it in a history book. You're like, all right, there's bad guys out there. Like, and that's what mm-hmm. recruiters are like, sign you up. Like let's serve our country and like protect us from all these bad guys out there. And not that, not that that is entirely irrelevant either, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's not Ukraine. something you engage in thoughtlessly. Yeah, I was. Oh man, we we talked about this before we recorded. Watching this movie this week, like we're recording early March, like this is happening right now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, 
to me, that's where this film felt a little bit. Oh, this is going to be the wrong word. And I'm, I'm about to chuck a grenade into this whole conversation. I apologize. But like out of touch, it seemed very much. I was watching a film from 30 years ago and like it was speaking to the moment, like a moment when Saving Private Ryan literally just came out and it was kind of like war is fun. And, you know, America's about to go on to make all of these Call of Duty video games. And, you know, it's going <laughs> to this cool thing. And like right now, you know, especially in a post 9-11 world in a post however many decades we were in Afghanistan world in and and not in a, even to get into the politics of all that but i think the national moment is so different now versus 1998 with its attitudes towards war that it felt like you know and especially now with this you know thing where russia invades ukraine for basically no reason i mean basically just putin trying to assert his authority over against european unity and it's like it feels like we don't want war but like when it comes to us like in in the example of ukraine like then you better fight it well you know mm. and again you know, i've been i've been rooting for some ukrainian soldiers recently in ways that i wouldn't expect to but you know it's like people are fighting for their homes you know yeah i, I don't want to throw a wrench in the in the thought process there but i'm gonna tell you the second part that really affected me <laughs> and it might not not might not affect you guys but when the when the guy i forget the guy's name but when the guy's wife wrote him a letter and said she wanted a divorce yeah. that oh, broke yes. my heart because mm -hmm. they did a very detailed and mm -hmm. what i would say a, a well executed understanding of this man and i would say even her love mm -hmm. for each other Mm -hmm. and they really understood each other and spent so much time together but it also shows the effect of what war does to those who aren't involved yeah and so it's like she's asking yo i fell for somebody else I, we need to separate you know and it's like i was hurt for this guy i was yeah. actually feeling like wow what that is so shady i felt i felt offended honestly mm. because it was just like yo this man is serving his country and you know as long as the lord preserves his life he is going to survive he's coming back to you and he loves you he's not even looking at anybody else because he made that statement he's not looking at any other girl he's waiting to get back to his woman and then she writes him a letter that mm. says I, I found someone else and I want a divorce. And it's like that crushed me for him. Mm. Dude, and, I kind of felt uh, I kind of felt like that was a metaphor in miniature of the film's perspective on war. Yeah. There's these mm. good and right passions that some people have, and then there's just conflict and things mm. that you know, arise where they're not in alignment and then you have divorce. And it was like, there's the divorce among this, these people that belong together, just like as humans, in a sense, we belong together, but mm -hmm. there's this war happening instead. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. kind of a recurring dynamic in Malik's filmography of like the love triangle. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it is, what you just said it's kind of like in miniature that is the that is the war at the heart of humanity it's like the tension between commitment 
and covenant and straying right and wanting to go off of someone else like that that is the nature of sin and it's Mm. the whole bible is basically like god's covenant with his people but the people are constantly choosing love triangle is right the people are we're we're constantly going after the third party in this relationship the other the other woman so to speak Mm. and like throughout his films there's that love triangle dynamic days of heaven it has that as the central plot point um the new worlds um john smith pocahontas and john rolfe so Christian Christian Bale and Colin Farrell are the two guys that Pocahontas is like kind of trying to decide between. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in some of Malick's later films as well, to the wonder, especially it's mm-hmm. a love triangle yeah. from his own life, basically. So I just think mm-hmm. that's interesting that Malick kind of focuses in on that classic narrative trope of the love triangle, which shows up in gazillion movies throughout mm-hmm. film history. But he pulls from it this really theological truth of like we are just constantly at war with our better our best interests is like the the flourishing that comes with you know being in this beautiful covenant, but we're always just we're so fickle, we always want to wander away mm. from that, yeah, so even though that's just a subplot in the movie it's it's a big it's an important thing that Malik you know leaves in the film for a reason. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on what I was kind of starting to explore around the like the cultural moment of the film and mm-hmm. where that is in 1998 versus now. And mm-hmm. what are some of the similarities and dissimilarities, I guess, between that moment and now and how it speaks to us? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's it's going to be a relevant film more so than the Saving Private Ryan type, which is more overtly patriotic and kind of rah-rah war. Mm-hmm. As we've already talked about, The Thin Red Line is just, you know, a very different sort of war movie. It's not about yay this side, yay this side. It's certainly not about, like, yay war. It's the opposite, <laughs> right? It's right. It's, a, it's a war is hell type of film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, war is anti- war yeah. is the antithesis of... Mm-hmm. Not just human flourishing, but like the flourishing of yeah. creation. Right. Mm-hmm. The cosmos is at yeah. war. Yeah, for sure. He he universalizes it as he always does in his movies, like in the Tree of Life. There's a human story and then there's the cosmos, and it's all part of the same, you know, fallen nature dynamic. But yeah, I mean I, mm-hmm. I was thinking about this movie today with the Ukraine Russia war and there's there's been some um clips that have gone viral you guys may have seen this where it was like a soldier saying goodbye to his daughter or a father saying goodbye to his daughter and it went viral and and all of us assumed that it was a ukrainian man saying goodbye to his daughter but as it turned out as these things so often do (laughs) that when the facts come out it was a russian guy saying goodbye to his father his daughter And that just shows like these are humans on both sides of mm-hmm. you know Russia and Ukraine. Like a lot of the Russians don't want to be fighting this war, just yeah. as I'm sure a lot of the Americans and Japanese in World War II weren't exactly thrilled to be, you know, risking their life in this way. Yeah. Um, but they're all humans. They all have daughters that they're tearfully saying goodbye to and wives, you know, back home. And so 
yeah, yeah. I think that aspect of the film is always going to be relevant. Like war is, it's unnatural. It goes against our nature. Mm. We were made for Shalom. We were made for relationships of peace. Uh, mm. And it's only because of the fall that we are killing each other all the time. Wow. No, I think that's really yeah, helpful. That's I appreciate yeah. that. Cause I mean, even just today I've read articles about this NGO in Russia getting calls from you know mothers looking for their kids you know just like because mm-hmm. that's they connect people's families to their soldiers or whatever and it's just like so many have gone missing for the russian children they don't know they don't have skin in the game of whatever putin is doing like for right. them it's just their dad is potentially going to die fighting a meaningless war and that's tragic it is tragic and with technology we kind of get to Maybe a benefit is that we get to actually think about these things because mm-hmm. when they're removed from us, we go, oh, like, yeah, it's easy. Good guys, bad guys. And like, well, maybe and in ways, but like you said, there are both innocent and good people. You don't choose what what nation you get born yeah. in right. and, and where your parents come from. And when yeah. your nation goes to war, you get you get signed up. Talking about how war is a disruption of nature, I think maybe the the individual bit or scene that maybe hit me the most or or stuck out to me the most on this view was uh, around the Take the Hill port where they were course correcting. They were calling in the artillery to figure out where it was. And then in between like the test and like the full effect, I think it was Jim Caviezel's character wit was just kind of like looking up meditatively at the sky and it's a gorgeous shot that kind of holds for a while. And then like you hear the missiles coming in and it's mm. artillery rounds. Y- you couldn't heat like you couldn't have a more clear mm. war being a disruption of nature. Right. I was like, right. that's maybe a little heavy handed, but it was, it, it was a perfect moment. I thought, and mm. kind of I missed a- it. So apparently not too heavy handed. Well, no, he was just sitting there, like, yeah. looking up, and Lebeski's one of the best in the game. Just a, a gorgeous shot that the clouds don't know they're at war. Like, yeah. it's a beautiful, cloudy day. The clouds are just kind of passing through the sky. Then all of a sudden, you, you hear the bombs going through the air, and then the devastation is like, man, like, war as a disruption of nature, like, mm-hmm. in a perfect 30-second yeah. scene right there. Speaking of disruption of nature, I think there was a scene where a bird had gotten like, mm-hmm. like injured by, yeah. yeah, by, by, by fire. And it was like nature suffering. It's like, you know, this bird is not participating in this war clearly. And so it's like nature is being disrupted by this human conflict. And like you said, Brett. Mm-hmm. which stems from ultimately that sin nature and mm-hmm. it's just like in in a, in a way where we we could probably safely categorize that innocent baby bird as innocent it's not doing anything it's not trying to say yeah i take japanese side or i take the american side it's not <laughs> it's not taking sides it's not trying to do anything else but just live mm-hmm. and it's been injured not up on its own will not up on its own action not up on its own involvement that brings such humanity to 
our impact to not only each other, but what we're doing to the world that we live in. Yeah. And that's important. That's not, that is not an unimportant yeah. fact. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like an ecological theme throughout Malik's films. Like he makes that, he makes this point about like nature is beautiful and amazing, but it is, it suffers, you know, <laughs> at the hands of humans mm -hmm. um, who try to harness it for various reasons, but often end up exploiting it um, in damaging ways. So, but I do think there's a hopeful aspect to nature in this film, like, and it's hard to kind of articulate, but the presence of nature in the midst of this really dark, depressing, you know, story is actually quite hopeful and grounding, I think. And, mm -hmm. and the character of Wit, Jim Caviezel's character, I think recognizes that. Like, yeah. he says things I like, agree. he says all things shining. And mm -hmm. so even in, even in this war, even when he, he himself, you know, spoiler alert, is, you know, killed um, because of this, he, he still can recognize that this is a glorious world, like all things shining, mm -hmm. the, the light coming through the trees and the canopy, the beautiful blue waters in the ocean that yeah. you can, there's still life in the midst of the death of war and the, the destruction of humans. And the last shot of the movie is a testament to that. Like it's a little like tree, like a tiny little mm -hmm. palm, palm shoot that's growing on the, on the beach. So it's a little sign of life, <laughs> right? Yeah. The end. Yeah. You can even see the, the, the interest that he takes when he's like pouring water on the leaf and it's just kind of falling mm -hmm. off and he's mm -hmm. taking interest in that. Yeah. It's just like the appreciation of like how nature is just there and, and thriving in a sense. It's, it's, it's actually pretty artistic and, and beautiful. Mm -hmm. I thought one thing that was really interesting about his character too, and this is what I was saying earlier about it turns all of the war movie tropes on its head because he's AWOL at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And usually the AWOL character is a layabout. He's typically <laughs> the villain, like mm -hmm. in any film, right? You can't trust him. He's going to be the guy that when you need him to go get the powder or whatever, he fails and like a bunch of people die and everybody's rooting against him, right? But Wit is not only just like full of life, but qualitatively heroic in a way. Like he is willing, he volunteers at, for every other assignment after that point, like he, he gets thrown into the stretcher brigade. But then from there, it's like anytime there's any challenging assignment to go on, he goes on it to the point on the last one, he's like, I'd want to be there if something happens. And that was something that I almost had a hard time. I mean, I'll just take almost out of it. Like I actually had a hard time understanding where that was coming from. Was he trying to say that like that courage and that, appreciation for the transcendence and the wonder around you in life and nature is, are somehow related. I, I was, yeah. I was looking at, I was, I posit that to you guys who probably know better. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think there's a few things going on with his character. Uh, and I, this is where I'd love to read the book, the source material to know what the character is like in the book, but he's kind of like a thorough character, uh, Walden pond, like just, very transcendental oriented looking at nature through uh this kind of philosophical almost escapist way like that could be a criticism criticism of his character he almost like lives in this la la land of like yeah he would probably you know, be happy yeah. to live at that yeah, right. village at the beginning all of his days 
he seemed like a great philosopher and not a great soldier at the beginning. Yeah. And so that's why I was really beginning. surprised. <laughs> yeah. But I do think what you said, Trevor, about like, does, does his wonder at creation help him with courage at the end? And I think it does. You know, I think when you, when you have such a, um, an openness to the grace of the world that God has given us, it, it does embolden us and give us courage to like face whatever there is to face because we can rest in the the peace of wild things to quote Wendell Berry's poem like there's there's a certain sort of confidence you get when you're just so aware of how small you are and how big and beautiful the world is that God made that it just puts things in perspective and I think that his character really like has that has that perspective yeah I would say kind of similarly to Brett I didn't necessarily read it as maybe like brimming with what we would traditionally think of as courage, but more like, like a lack of fear. He doesn't love the war, but, but he is where he is. He does care about the people to a degree that like he, his brothers in arms. And he's like you said, like he, he does what he needs to do as long as he's breathing Mm -hmm. and he's not taking pleasure in it too. Like, Theoretically, like you would like to have, if there is war, you would like to have soldiers like that versus like the Nick Nolte, like, like I'm using this to try to get like, this is my chance to like build up my career and things like that. Uh, or even mm-hmm. Sean Penn, who's just kind of cynically going like, yeah, I'd love to think like, I'd love to believe in like something mm-hmm. better than this, but mm-hmm. this is the only world there is. And like, we're stuck here, like in a way, like he is kind of the ideal person for that situation who can appreciate the value of of life Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely which i wonder if that's really the normal perspective because i think the pragmatism of sean penn's character of just you know what this sucks but whatever we're here he's it's said at some point that you know sure this other guy is the actual commanding officer of the of the company but he runs the place as the sergeant um, so that typical like sergeant figure who like, you know, <laughs> yeah. is, is the real soldier. And so it's just kind of interesting that, that wit ends up being the hero in, in ways. And so just mm-hmm. another one of the things that, that, uh, Malik turns on its head and, and very, I don't know, it's just very intriguing. Mm-hmm. I, I came out with way more questions than answers in this film. And I think that's mm-hmm. probably intentional from that <laughs> yeah, part of the never a bad thing with the movie, I think. I can empathize with that point, ultimately, because it's like, if I have to think of something greater than just what's in front of me, that requires more thought. It requires it. And so it's like, if I can get away with just saying we're here, this is what it is, and there's no more beyond it, that's, that's an easier or at least a more culpable kind of existence and um application of the circumstance that you're in because it's just like this is what we're here with this is what we're doing because if there's any more than this and anything more transcendent than this then i actually have to consider that and that's way more complicated than just saying what's in front of me is what i have yeah with that perspective you can justify a lot of atrocities you can justify Absolutely. Yeah, you, you can justify any actions in war with that point of view. And mm-hmm. thankfully, it, the movie didn't go that far. But I mean, Absolutely, it really did yeah. portray like 
there's different ways to even wage war, which mm-hmm. not very many war movies kind of put that in front of the viewer either. Yeah. So I would definitely say this is a, a, a quite a layered film for sure. Yes. The relationship between Wit and Sean Penn's character in a way I think maps onto the nature and grace dialectic in the tree mm-hmm. of life which is another dialectic that I think Malick explores in numerous films, but Mm -hmm. just that, you know, Sean Penn is the nature guy, like nature is cruel. There's nothing else. Like this is a dog eat dog Darwinian world. And all we got to do, all we got to do is just try to survive. Like, and wit is the like all grace character where he's like, you know, he sees the glory. He sees all things shining, even in the darkness of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I wonder if Malik, just like in the tree of life, I think he's not saying these two are like all right and all wrong necessarily as much as he's saying, this is the dialectic that we exist within. Like there is a truth to nature's cruelty. Mm-hmm. That is a real dynamic, but Absolutely. we also, we also live in a graced world where there is, there is more beauty than a Darwinian explanation can account for right yeah and so we ha- we have to like balance these together and the character the two characters of wit and sean penn's sergeant welsh i think hash that out in their in their conversations in really interesting ways mm-hmm. so brett a uh, couple of questions here as we're kind of winding down just kind of overall i know you say you don't really consider this a war movie and i i know your love of malik it's probably at like near or at the top but are there any other films that kind of explore these sorts of themes surrounding mm-hmm. war that you might, if somebody liked this movie and the questions that it raised in particular, yeah. do you have anything that you might point our listeners to? Um, yeah. I mean, the thing that comes to mind first is Clint Eastwood's um, two films about world war two that he made as a duo flags of our fathers and then letters from Iwo Jima. So those yeah. two movies those two movies tell the battle of Iwo Jima from two perspectives, the American and the Japanese. Mm-hmm. And so I would recommend watching those as a pair. And because it gets at this whole idea of like war is mm-hmm. a human experience that, you know, it's not about the right side and the wrong side as much as like, this is an existential problem that, <laughs> that we're facing that we keep killing each other. So that's what comes to mind. Um, as like, if, if you like the thin red line, you probably would like those two films. Hmm. I had forgotten about those. I, I seen yeah. I I've watched them both once when they came out, but that was a very effective. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting too, coming from Clint Eastwood, who has both starred in and made kind of very. And I like plenty of his work, but his work a lot of times does boil down to good guy shoots bad guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but that kind of changed with Unforgiven. That like that that movie i think started him on the path of like meta kind of questioning of his his own personal like place in film history mm-hmm. yeah so it's almost like that the unforgiven is looked at as the the movie that like introduced the deconstructed western and i think with his two world war two world war two films it's almost like the same thing with the war genre like deconstructing the sure. war the war film absolutely i gotta see that one yeah, I think yeah. you would. Re- I think you and That's your dad would both like those, Trev. They are very, very violent. So 
Vince, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you should watch it because they're much more Hollywoody, there. violent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. My man watches horror. Like right. I'm, I'm just like having a hard time understand. But I understand it's it's all more. It's more real than like a supernatural yeah. killer than like yeah. men. Like especially what got me on because it's it had been several years since I've watched the Thin Red Line. All the bits with where um, they had the bayonets. It's like. Mm-hmm. It's chaos. It's literally mm-hmm. scared men stabbing each other in order to stay alive. It's not. Isn't it crazy that, that <sighs> they were still using bayonets like as as recently as the 1940s? They're using they're using bayonets. That's wow. Crazy. Just to throw in there, I did grow up in a charismatic tra- tradition. <laughs> Demons and all of that stuff with horror films is is familiar to me, but. Yeah. Thankfully, none of the demons <laughs> killed anybody. <laughs> so either way, I, I think, you know, and the thing is, I want to have enough integrity to say, like, I may have a particular take on a genre or film or books or movies or TV shows or whatever. But if I can find a an alleviation to that genre then I can be reintroduced to it to be able to accept it. So I, I, I accept that. And, and maybe I'll, I'll definitely dip my toe and start to try to see if that's a, a genre that I can, that I can get familiar with for yeah. sure. I, I think those, those are often the most interesting movies are the ones that play with genre and subvert genre expectations. Yeah. So even, even if horror isn't my favorite genre, like I love the movies that like, subvert your expectations you know yeah with, with it and the same with war films or whatever absolutely mm. now vince I, i'll i'll shoot you some ones there too because yeah like war Please. in and of itself is not a cool thing and al- almost always the most interesting war movies are either like patently like anti-war going like this is bad or ones that cause you to think like the the flag of our fathers iwo jima like that that center the humanity and then kind of show showing like war is the antagonist, not yeah. the other team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, hey, expand my list. And as long <laughs> as the Lord gives me time on this earth, I can I can check some stuff out. Here at The Substance, we're trying to keep it biblical, thoughtful, and human. And what's more human than needing insurance? Even though we don't know <laughs> what life is in store for our homes and cars, we can still prepare. Introducing the damage doesn't have to be too damaging policy from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly, and listen biblical, thoughtful, and humanly. If you're one of our listeners in the Kansas City area and you're looking to purchase a home or even to get a second opinion on the home you already have to make sure your rates are competitive, contact Chris Hotchkiss at 913-268-8200 today. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operation company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. So, uh, shout-outs? For sure. Let's do it. Brett, um, you've you've been on the show before. You know the drill. We like to do some substance shout-outs at the end. Um, You can either do some kind of in this, in the Malick war film vein, and I know you you mentioned the the two Clint Eastwood movies, but what what have you been either enjoying recently, or what do you think, based on our discussion here, that might be some... Films, books, albums, podcasts, articles. What have you been enjoying or found edifying lately? Um, man, after the like end of a year where it's like watching so many movies, January and February are like slow months for me um, with movies. But 
I have been enjoying the Kanye West uh, documentary Genius on Netflix. Mm. That's really well done and really interesting. I'm only on the second episode, but Hmm. if if you're interested in Kanye and his story, that's a really interesting film. All right. I've been reading Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry is sort of like what I read when I want to just relax and like just go go to like a relaxing place. I often describe Wendell Berry as like the Terrence Malick of books for me in the same way that like Malick's films are immersive and they just kind of like wash over you like a Sunday afternoon nap sometimes. Like Mm. Wendell Berry is the same way. Mm. So music do we do like different like genres can i make some sure yeah whatever you like recommendations there's a band called color vault that i've been really digging recently they're it's like worship but like like you've never heard it before all right so check out color vault Um, Vault. it's got the singer from young oceans who is a really it's a really great christian brian eno type christian artist hmm have you seen After Yang yet? I have not seen it. No, I'm. I am going to see it this weekend. Hopefully, it comes out here in LA Friday. Love to uh, get a connection. I think it was on the mm-hmm. online festival, but I didn't get to watch any of those movies because I was all excited when I was like, "Oh, you can rent like individual tickets," but they were actually doing time slots, and I was like, "I can't build my day yeah. around streaming a movie on my computer." <laughs> yeah, they still haven't figured out how to do film festivals online well. Like if it was a 24 hour window where I could pay my 12 bucks and watch anything, mm-hmm. but it's like, no, you have to show up at your computer at 9 PM. And I'm like, I'm yeah. not going to do that. Who does that in the 21st century? People who are paid. I, mean, <laughs> I, I did. I did. A, I'd go to a few Sundance online screenings, but it was so annoying because I had to like, yeah, like you said, I had to like block out a 6 AM screening, you know, it's painful. Yeah. um, anything you're working on now currently or anything you'd like to promote or send our listeners to we'll put your your personal handles in the show notes but anything you're excited about um my i mean you could give a shout out to my most recent book the wisdom pyramid which i'm I'm still kind of promoting did it win something recently i feel like i said it, it won something or was nominated for something recently um oh the tgc like awards and christianity today gave it like an award of merit for their book awards so i nice. guess that was cool nice. to see for sure nice um, but yeah i'm not writing any new books at the moment i'm still i'm like getting hunkered down for like fatherhood of three for the next like year that's yeah, gonna be my sure. focus yeah that is a big that's project. Right that is there. absolutely fair. A good one. Mm-hmm. And I will say, back when, how long has it been? When did uh, the Wisdom Pyramid originally drop? It's been a while, right? A year. It came out last February. February, yeah. No, we shouted that out. Um, I really enjoyed that. I've got your uh, signed copy that I maybe won from another podcast, perhaps. <laughs> I think Crossway sent that's us classic one. Classic Philip for anyone listening. <laughs> it is. Like, I win a lot of things. Crossway sent us one just when it came out mm. that I read. And then when I won the signed one by you, I gave my copy away to someone else. Oh, there you go. Nice. There we go. <laughs> Spreading the love. Well, Brett. My one last question before um, letting you go. Do you have at this time or should we wait later for uh, our our next assignment from you? Mm. Oh, like Malik assignment? Sure. Malik or whatever is your favorite. 
Oh man. I mean, the new world is probably probably one you should see. And- I would feel like the new world makes the most sense next. I'll say I think I maybe mentioned this at Trio Life back in 2019 <laughs> when we talked on that one. The new I'm gonna say I didn't like it. I didn't get Badlands the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a big fan of that one now. I would be super interested to see Trevor and Vince's reaction to that. But I think I think the new world maybe makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's I would be happy to come back and chat for my fifth appearance. Wow. And I'm excited. Okay. I think it's movie now. The uh, Voyage of Time is finally up. I'm going to get my uh, free yeah. seven-day. That's maybe a shout-out. Listeners, get yourself a free seven-day trial mm-hmm. for movie and check out The Voyage of Time, which I've been waiting to see for years and years. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Oh, some other recent movies that I, I would plug that just I think just came on to like Amazon to rent. But um, come on, come on. Did you guys see that with Joaquin Phoenix? It's on my list. I haven't seen it yet. That, that, was, one of my, that was one of my favorite movies of the mm-hmm. year last year. It just really captures like some interesting dynamics of parenting in today's world. All right. And Joaquin oh, okay. Phoenix is just incredible. Yeah, so. that dude is a, he's brilliant. And wow. then did you guys see um, Swan Song? Have you, have you heard of that movie? No. Swan Song. I'm okay. rocking my brain. I, I'm, what is that? It's on Apple Apple TV Plus. It's oh, like a yeah, I've it's seen like a dystopian. It. I've seen the about... movie, but I've seen the. the oh, is that uh, Mahershala? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. See, I've seen streaming yeah. mo- like streaming movies come and go so fast. Like mm. I still haven't seen One Night in Miami yeah. <laughs> yet, and that's on the Criterion now. Yeah. Who is it? Well, okay. Yeah, you should see Swan Song. It's I love the, I'll like put that. I'll the bump dystopian, that up dystopian movies are a great way to think about what it means to be human, right? Mm-hmm. And that that film is especially interesting. Wow. Well, I'm excited yeah. to hear that. I'm like I, that tomorrow, I'm a fan of Mahershala, and when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, great!" And then ten other series and three mm-hmm. other movies all popped out at once. Great, my letterbox list yet and i yeah. swan song i will bump up there wow absolutely it's the curse of the streaming era there's like amazing stuff that just gets totally lost in the in the glut yeah. right yeah so. glut is a perfect word for it it is a man too much <laughs> it would be cool if like for the next i don't know decade all the studios were like one movie a month nobody's making that nobody's releasing more than 12 movies this year seriously that would be awesome that That would be great yeah but then hollywood would pick movies 12 re-releases it's easier to pick ghostbusters 8 (laughs) (laughs) that's funny because it's so true i'm happy to skip the next doctor strange film the next star wars film And like there'd be like one, there'd be like one artistic film. Any update? Um, is Terrence Malick's uh, Jesus film maybe coming out this year? You know, there's talk of that, but I highly doubt it. Um, but I would be, I would be pleasantly surprised if it came out. Um, I know it's it's finished filming. Like it's been a, like a year since they. Finished. He edits for forever too. He edits. He edits for years and. This is his Jesus film, so I wouldn't be surprised if he took, you know, five years to perfect it. Yeah. Jeez. 
Well, Brett, thanks so much again for your time and all of these. I have like so many tabs open now in my browser of all of these suggestions and everything like very um, living up to the uh, senior editor of arts and culture uh, title there for sure. And uh, yeah, we just really appreciate you and your ministry. Thanks, guys. It was fun as always. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, have a good night. We'll see you. See you guys. I'm super pumped. That was such a cool conversation with uh, Brett McCracken. And um, I'm just soaking it in, like all the knowledge. And, and I feel like oh, I almost hate to say it because the movie's three hours long, but like I feel like I need to watch it again. I was going to say, I, I feel like this will be one that you return to and like more upon future viewings yeah hey it's another criterion collection disc i can i can get you one day oh all right yeah when <laughs> when you finally replace it with something and i'll, I'll get <laughs> that's perfect man that's that's how i get most of my films brett's got some review stuff as well that we can post uh on the and the links in the show notes. Yeah, he, he's written widely about this film and terrence malick i'll throw some of those uh, in the show notes there Thanks for joining us here for this. I, I always love it when we have Brett on. I love it when we talk movies, but um, it's always particularly enjoyable when we have Brett on mm-hmm. talking Malik. Um, if this is something that you like, you want to hear more of it, tell us. I mean, it sounds like we've maybe decided that um, The New World is the next one, but if you feel strongly about another Malik entry, let us know. And if uh, you want to help us keep doing this you can join us uh, at our anchor link in the show notes you can sign up for either five or ten dollars a month or one dollar a month there's that option too yeah hey one buck a month that adds up if you're like hey i like these guys but like i want to keep it reasonable here uh one dollar we'll take it and then um if you want to just hit us every now and then with like a little digital tip if you're like you know what I really love this movie. I enjoyed hearing about it. I'm not quite going to join up for a monthly deal, but I'll throw you 5, 10, 20 bucks, whatever. You can do that on Cash App at dollar sign the substance pod. You already know the deal. <laughs> Definitely visit thesubstancepod.com. There we will have our socials in the upper right corner of the home page. Definitely click on our episodes category. Pick your favorite episode and let us know what you thought about the episode in the comment section. Our YouTube comment section is disabled, but our substancepod.com comments section is absolutely enabled. So leave your comment. Tell us what you thought. Tell us what you enjoyed. Tell us what you thought we could cover that we didn't cover. We just want to know your thoughts. So visit us at thesubstancepod.com and follow us on The Substance Pod. Once again, it is 2022, the year of the voicemail, and our phone lines are open. The answering machine is standing by to receive your phone call at 913-703-3883. You can call. You can leave us your testimonials, your ideas on Terrence and Alec. You can just talk to us, these three guys. It's nice hearing your guys' voices. It's always awesome getting... DMs and tweeting at us and whatnot, but it's always cool to hear voices. It's like your buddies. And if it's concise, we will put you on the show. We may put you on the show. Like you might send an audio message to a friend of yours or something like that. I mean, just any any of those things you can do, <laughs> and we'll listen to it. That's 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 what a voicemail is. The show. So, <laughs> well, what an email is is something that you write electronically and send it to the Substance Pod 
at gmail.com if send you us, want that electronic message to get into electronic our electronic mailbox. Mm-hmm. And the people you would be talking to in that case, is, it's just it's just your friends who are the substance hosts. It's me, Trevor Aiken. And Philip. And Vincent. Who are really excited to see you next time. On the substance. We gone. If uh, if you enjoyed it and want to uh, help join this, nope, that was good. Join the substance movement, <laughs> but 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 not to the exclusion of your local church. That's true. That's the B roll right there, perhaps. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 <laughs>